taking a good time saying hello to you all. It's so good to see you all here. We're so glad you're with us this morning. Once again, um, as we've been worshiping, isn't God good? Oh, my goodness. Uh, this morning's going to be a special treat um, as we get into the word. Um, we have one of our spiritual family who will be sharing up here who I don't believe has ever shared up here on a Sunday morning before. Um, she's going to be transitioning soon, has graduated MSU, and uh, is heading out. So we're going to let her share. We're going to pray. We're going to bless her. But would you just welcome Rachel Kuchai on up here? Wait, wait. I, I'm not going to call her that. Uh, let's welcome Rachel. Come on, guys. You can do better than that. <laughs> there we go. Um, anyways, I'm super excited to hear the message you're sharing again. again. <laughs> um, and I'll talk about that in a second. But um, you graduated uh, last December, and now we'll be moving on. Can you, uh, before we get into hearing what, what you have to, to share, tell us a little bit about where you're headed next and what you'll be doing. Yeah, so I just graduated from MSU in December, so I just kind of took a gap semester hanging out in East Lansing and staying plugged in with the House of Prayer and the SOCC fam. Um, but starting in like two and a half weeks or something really close with that, I am going to be joining a ministry for this summer called Every Heart. And what I'll be doing is I have a team, there's eight of us, and we are going to be traveling across the United States, um, going to a new city every week and partnering with a church or ministry in that city, serving them, serving the people of the city, sharing the gospel and hosting worship gatherings. Um, and so, yeah, that'll start May 21st is when I head out for that, and then in August, I'm going to be moving to Grand Rapids and starting grad school at Calvin University, um, pursuing a master's in speech-language pathology. Awesome. Hey, we're so excited for you and all the Lord has. So at the end of today, we will um, pray and bless uh, Rachel. We like to do that. As we say, we're a spiritual family, and when God is leading people to other places, we want to bless them sort of commission them to the next season so that at the end of today, we will take some time and pray and bless her. But um, this is also your last Sunday with us, uh, and you've been a part of this spiritual family in the house of prayer as well for uh, three years, four years? Oh, man. And if you don't know, Rachel has served really tirelessly with our kids here on Sunday mornings, um, teaching them, doing the nursery. Anytime there's a blank space, she has jumped in. We appreciate that servant heart. Uh, and we are going to really, really miss you. Um, could you just take a minute since this is your last Sunday with us? I'm sure you'll come visit, right? No pressure. Um, and tell us a little bit about what this spiritual family has been for you in this season of your life. Yeah, and so I started college in August of 2018, my freshman year, and right away got plugged in at the House of Prayer, which has just been incredible, and the link between SOCC and the House of Prayer is really sweet. Um, but started coming around SOCC 
like towards the end of my freshman year, like spring of 2019. And I think honestly, like being in college is just a weird transition. You're away from your family. You're, for me, I then was away from my community that like I got saved in. Um, and so being a part of SOCC has been really impactful for me. And one, like expanding my view of church, honestly, I was the um, community I got saved in was a very large church. Um, and so essentially I was just plugged in with my high school ministry and not really connected generationally. And so being a part of this family has been really sweet and just seeing the value and like what I believe is like God's design for church of multi-generational um, and having, yeah, just that support uh, from the body and in this like special body of believers has been really sweet in my time in college and just creating a family for me when I'm not with my family. That's awesome. We love being that for you. And so uh, we're excited for where God's leading you and we will miss you because we love you. Um, so a little bit about today. Um, many of you have probably heard the testimonies over the last week or so from an event that was hosted on campus called MSU Now, MSU Night of Worship. Some of us were there. Um, and so uh, when we were there, Rachel preached the gospel and it was incredible. It was one of the clearest but more than that, one of the most anointed sharings of the gospel I've ever heard in my lifetime. Um, and I was so touched by it, but I've never had this experience where um, the, that night and then the next day, two of our elders separately came to me, Tom and Kevin said, she needs to preach that on Sunday morning. I've never had anyone say that about anyone sharing any message. I said, I guess we need her to share that on Sunday morning. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I had had the thought, but them saying that as well was, was so powerful. Um, and so here she is sharing with us the gospel this morning. And I've heard someone say at, at one time that everyone needs to hear the gospel all the time. And, uh, you know, it was even emphasized we had a, a family meeting here as, as a church family a couple weeks ago. And, and some of the feedback we had gotten and, and something our elders have been talking about even a little has been making sure we, we reaffirm our foundations often. The foundational truths and beliefs in the gospel has got to be the foundation. And so, again, it was timely to, to have you come and share. But, but I've heard someone say before, like, we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. Not just one time so that we kind of step into the but all the time so that we learn to live in the fullness of it, the fullness of what, what the Lord has done for us, and to ignite our hearts again with how much he has loved us. And if we don't often consider the good news of what Jesus has done, even as we did in worship this morning, we can easily grow cold and apathetic. And so whether you've heard the gospel once or 500 million times, you're going to hear it again today. And you need to hear it. I need to hear it. We need to hear about Jesus and what he's done for us, and we get to hear it from Rachel. So I'm going to pray for her and then let her loose. Um, would you just extend your hands? Lord, thank you for uh, this daughter of yours and sister of ours. God, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that rests upon her and dwells inside of her. God, we thank you for the message that um, you have cultivated in her and are going to deliver through her. Lord, would you open our hearts to what you would say through your friend, Rachel, and your servant, Rachel, forgive us ears to hear what you are saying and ignite our hearts once again to love you back for all that you have done for us and how greatly you have loved us. God, we just give you an invitation to open our eyes again, 
and touch our hearts again with the beauty of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Sweet. So, yeah, when I was preparing for MSU Now, um, I was praying out of 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5 when Paul is writing, and it holds true for this as well. And so I'm going to read that and then pray for us and then enter into the message. Paul writes, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I just want to pray for all of us that, that this would be true, that it would be the Holy Spirit that leads us into encounter with Jesus and not things that I say or a song and the Lord uses those, but that it would truly be by the power of the Holy Spirit so that our faith would rest in him and not in man. And so I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to enter into the passages we're reading from. Yeah, Jesus, I just pray for myself and for this room right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and encounter us, that your Holy Spirit would come and lead us into an encounter with you, Jesus, that you would reveal to us more of who you are, that we would see you rightly, Jesus. Yeah, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and speak through me, that all of my words would be glorifying and honoring to you, Jesus, that we would have our eyes fixed on you and you alone, that you would be where our attention goes to, Jesus. Yeah, I pray this in your name. Amen. Sweet. So we're going to be in John 10, and we are going to be looking at the passage, and Jesus is talking, referring to himself as both the door and the shepherd. And so we're going to start in John 10, verses 7 through 10, um, and I'll read that. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus the door, referring to himself as the door, meaning that he is the only way to be saved. He is the only way to truly enter into the sheepfold, I was looking up photos of a sheepfold to help myself with this message, and they had these big stone walls surrounding, and that there was one door. And Jesus, when he's talking to these people, he's saying, I am the door. I am the only way to go in. And this passage mentions a thief, one that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And the reality is that there is a real enemy who is trying to deceive man into thinking that there are other ways to be saved and other things to provide that sense of safety and protection that many of us long for. Because Jesus is saying, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That that right there is that sense of safety and security and protection that many of us long for. But he's saying the thief comes to steal 
kill, and destroy. So there's one who comes in a mode of deception trying to convince us that there are other things that can save us, other things more worthy of our attention, and other things that like are worth giving our life to. But the reality is that Jesus is the only one who can save us. And what is it that we are being saved from? Like Jesse said, you could have heard this never, or you've heard this a thousand times, but it is so essential as believers to be reminded of the message of the gospel, to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And so the reality is that God made mankind to be in relationship with him, to partner with him on the earth. And man chose to rebel against God. God instructed man to, that they could do anything in this beautiful garden that he made them except for eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But man chose to rebel against God and eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That they were deceived into wanting to be like God. That a serpent came and deceived them and said that if you eat of this tree, you will have the knowledge of God. You will have the power of God, even though they were already made in the image of God. So the enemy came and deceived them. He's been one of deception since the beginning, of, of convincing them that they would have the knowledge of God even though they are already made in the image of God. And so what we have is sin present in the world. And we are told that the wages of sin is death. And that is what we need to be saved from because we are on a path that leads to death. That we have sin present in the world and without a savior, we are leading to death. And we know that God is holy and cannot dwell in the presence of sin and evil. And so we see in the Old Testament God's deep longing to be with his people. He was wanting to be with us, to dwell with us. And this desire of him to be with us is ultimately rooted in love. And so what we see is that God made a way through animal sacrifices to atone or make amends for the man's sin so that God could dwell amongst his people. However, we see that the shedding of blood of animals could not fully atone for the sins of mankind. And mankind continued to rebel against God and walk in their evil ways. And like we've said, God is holy and cannot dwell amongst the midst of sin and evil. So there needed to be a man. There needed to be a pure sacrifice, one who lived a blameless life without sin to take on the sins of all humanity. There needed to be one who would give up his life for mankind. And his name is Jesus. I'm going to read on. And Jesus, the good shepherd, in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and, f and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. So we have Jesus, the good shepherd, the Son of God, that God sent his one and only Son, the one who lays his life down. He is the pure sacrifice. Jesus Christ is literally the grace of God in the flesh that God made a way through Jesus Christ so that we could be in relationship with him. There is none like this good shepherd. There is none like Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, verses 24 through 25, is talking about Jesus, and it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we have Jesus, who is both our savior and our good shepherd, meaning that he is the one who lived a blameless life, took on the full weight of our sins, and suffered a brutal death for us, that he saved us, but he is our good shepherd, meaning that he is guiding us today. He is the one who is leading us today. But the key is that while he took on the full weight of our sins and suffered a brutal death for us, he was raised from the grave three days later, meaning that he defeated the power of sin and death in your life so that we who believe, who profess the name of Jesus, who call upon upon him and believe that he really did do what we're talking about, that he really did take on the weight of our sin, suffer a death, and raise from the grave. That when we turn away from the way we were once living and turn to Jesus, we would be saved from the punishment of sin, which is death, and that we would be raised to life. So that we who are in Jesus are no longer being ruled by sin and evil, but being led by the good shepherd. And when I read this verse like over and over again, by his wounds you have been healed, by his wounds you have been healed, I just can't help but just like to be in awe and reverence before Jesus because I'm like, what kind of love is this? That by the shedding of blood, the shedding of the blood of a man who's fully God, fully man, we have been healed? That is just so wild that he is the one who lays his life down. And that by the shedding of his blood, we are healed. There is no one like Jesus. There is nothing that will ever care for us like Jesus. I want to look again at verses 12 and 13. He's saying, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And when I read this, I think of literally anything that we try to put in the place of Jesus, our Savior and Good Shepherd, anything that we try to place above him and put them in that place, whether that be an idea, a person, something, I don't know, anything that you are idolizing in your life above Jesus, that it will never care for you like Jesus. It'll never save you, and it'll also never care for you 
like Jesus. He is the one who cares for you more than any other. Because he, he sh- and he showed that by laying his life down for you. And so we are raised to life in Jesus, no longer being ruled by sin and death, that death does not have a hold on us for those who are in Jesus, and we are raised to life. And not only that, but we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, God living in us to live lives of righteousness. It says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That this is true freedom. This is what we were really made for. Not being ruled by our own sinful desires, but truly being led by the Spirit of God. Romans 8 talks about those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That we are no longer ruled by fear, but we are being led by the Spirit. Um, And so when I read this, I also think about the reality that if all of us who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God, that we are adopted into the family of God. And this is really the only true form of safety and protection, that we have safety and security in Jesus and that we are adopted into a family with brothers and sisters who aren't going to be pulled away and snatched by the wolf that comes, but rather they have their security in Jesus, that we all together have our security in Jesus, and together we are being led by the Spirit of God to live lives of righteousness, to live lives of true freedom. In verses 14 and 15, I want to touch on those as well. He's saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. We enter into deep intimacy and fellowship with Jesus. It's not that we just get saved and we move on and like have that security, but we truly enter into a relationship with him, of knowing him and him knowing us. That he's not afraid to draw near to us, at all. He wants to know us, and we also know him. He wants us to know him, and it's the greatest joy of our life to know Jesus, to know the one we were made for. And continuing to touch on on the reality that he is our shepherd, he is the one who is guiding us, that he is the shepherd who guides us through the darkest valley. And we don't fear because he is with us. That no matter what may come your way, no matter what circumstance you may face, he truly is with you and guiding you and leading you. That no matter what happens in your life, and and that is a reality that I've had to hold on to. I've had a crazy last four years of my life. Um, Like, My dad passed away at the end of my freshman year, and I've been in a legal battle for the past, like, two and a half years in regards to that. And it's been really hard, but I have held on to the truth and the foundation that Jesus is with me in those valleys. He does not leave me. He truly cares for me and loves me. He's the one who laid his life down for me, and now I get to be led by him knowing that he is with me. 
He leads us to places of rest when we're overwhelmed with anxiety or fear. He truly does. He is the one who gives us rest. He clothes us and he provides for us because he cares for us. Like I said before, there is no one who will care for you like Jesus cares for you. And that is the truth, that he cares for us. And so I want to talk about how we are to live in response to this, in response to this message of the gospel. First, we are to live with our life laid down. That Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we get the honor of laying our life down for him. It's truly an honor. It's not a burden. But I will say it's costly because it requires us to lay ourselves down. It requires us to put aside everything else and lay ourselves down. But it's so good because we are raised to true life in Jesus. I was reading this book called The Cost of Discipleship, and it talks about this term called costly grace. And this um, line from there has stuck with me of saying, like, it's costly because it calls us to follow. Well, it's costly because it calls us to follow, but it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. And if that isn't telling of who Jesus is, that while we do lay our life down, but we are raised to true life in him, and it's really the best thing that it's grace to follow Jesus. It's better than anything that we could ever attain on our own. Living under his leadership is better than anything we could ever do or try to attain on our own. And so my challenge to myself and my challenge to all of you is if you believe that Jesus is your savior, that he really did take on the weight of all of our sins, die and resurrect defeating death, are you also living under his good shepherding leadership? It's one thing to believe in him for salvation, but you are, are you also being led by him and being led by the spirit of God? The second thing of how we are to live is proclaiming the message of the gospel. That we are saved, and then we have the honor of being entrusted with this message of salvation, this message that's rooted in love and hope that we can't keep to ourselves. that you may have family members, you may have coworkers, you may have friends that do not know Jesus, and we get to show his steadfast love from, for them, that many of us, the people that, that are in our life that don't know him are probably maybe someone close in our life, that we are wanting to know Jesus. And we get to show the demonstration of his love by walking steadfast with them. And I get to walk with my brothers throughout their life, believing that they are going to come to know the saving knowledge, the saving love of Jesus Christ. And we are entrusted with that message when we go to the grocery store, wherever we go, we are to walk set apart in the way that we love and when we have the opportunity, share the gospel with words, but also in demonstration with our deeds and our actions, that we are to walk in love, showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. And the third way that I want to touch on of how we are to live is as a unified family, that we are saved into a fellowship, we are saved into a family. Jesus says in verse 16, 
He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. There is one God and one body. Not only are we reconciled to God, but we are reconciled to each other. And I was thinking about this part, and I I was wanting to touch on this more with you all, and thinking about us as the flock, as this, this flock of sheep, that we really need each other, that we must stick together. I was reminded of the parable of the lost sheep when God leaves the 99 to go after the one, but then I was thinking about the 99, that they had to stick together. The ones that were ready of the fold, they needed to stick together. And so how do we stick together? We remind each other of what the good shepherd has done for us so that also when we have someone who gets saved into the fellowship, we can celebrate them. You know, we're talking about the the parable of the prodigal son that we get to celebrate, that that we don't want to to be bitter or or think that... um, God has left us to go with someone else, but actually he saves us into a family so that we have each other, so that God uses us to proclaim his message of the gospel. And also, like, yeah, that parable of the lost sheep, when he goes, we don't feel like we're left alone because, one, he is with us, but we have a family. We we need this family of sheep, and, and it's, and it's a diverse family. It's not just people who look like you. It's not just people in your ministry. It's not just people your age, but it really is a family, a whole body. And we get to be the representation of that. And so the message of the gospel that we're reconciled to God, I believe also comes with another part that we're reconciled to each other. That that there isn't room bitterness or hatred or or divisiveness between our brothers and sisters, but we really need each other. And and a lot of what we talked about at MSU Now and what it was centered around that wasn't in my part of the message is that reality of John 17 unity, of Jesus praying that we would be one just as him and the Father are one. So one, we need to know the intimacy that, that Jesus and the Father have, and that comes from a relationship with Jesus, of sitting with Jesus and knowing that fellowship that him and the Father have, the fellowship of the Trinity, Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that fellowship, we are to represent that on earth as the body. We are called to do that. Um, and that is a way that people will come to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ truly is the one who laid his life down for me, for all of us and that he rose from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. That that is the message of hope that we get to bring, and that is the message of hope that we get to represent in the way that we love each other and walk as a family. And so I'm about to wrap up, but I want us to all just stand in response, and I'm going to pray for us in regards to these, these ways that we are to live. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you that you were the pure sacrifice, that you are the pure sacrifice, that you are the one who came and lived a blameless life so that 
we who believe that you took on the weight of our sin, suffered a brutal death, and raised from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death, that we who believe would be raised to life. We thank you, Jesus, that you raise us to life. I pray, Jesus, right now that all of us in this room would live a life laid down for you. Just as you laid your life down for us, that we would live a life laid down for you, trusting in your good shepherding leadership over our life, Jesus. I pray that we would be, live a life proclaiming the message of the gospel through words and through deeds, through the way that we love Jesus, that many would come to know you through this body of believers here, Jesus. And I pray that we would live as a unified family. I pray right now for anyone in this room that has a hard heart toward another brother or sister, that you would bring them to a point of reconciliation, Jesus, that you would remind them of what you have done for us so that we can be in reconciliation with you and with our brothers and sisters, so that we can be in relationship with our brothers and sisters, Jesus. I pray that you would unify us, Jesus that we would be unified under your love. It's ultimately for you, Jesus. It's for your glory, for your honor. We come before you, Jesus, and we say, have your way in us. Use us, Lord. Reconcile us to yourself and one another so that we can be ones who proclaim the message of your gospel and see ones come to know you, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We pray that you would keep us, remind us of your love that you have for us, that you would hold us tight and know that you are walking with us, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.